All right, let's go ahead and turn in your Bibles tonight. We'll be in the book of Ezra. Again, as we continue our study in the book of Ezra, we'll be in chapter 6 this evening. Last week we finished up with, uh, finished up Ezra chapter 5. So let's kind of just give a little quick recap of what we looked at last time. If you remember, there was another letter sent. Oh, another letter. Keep writing these letters back and forth. Uh, again, the king sent... <clears throat> A king was, uh, letters was sent to the king, excuse me, from the governor and from his companions regarding the Jews and what they were doing as they were starting to rebuild. As uh, we came to verse number 11, we saw that the Jews replied back to the king. Again, they were up front telling him that they were serving the God of heaven and the God of earth. Not only did they reply to the king and praise God, but they also recognized their sins in verse number 12, they understood that God chastened uh, them because of their forefathers and what the decisions that they had made then, correcting them and bringing them back where they needed to be. And then finally, we saw how the Jews reminded the king that they had a right to rebuild and that they were given the gold and the silver to carry back with them because it had been stolen 70 years prior, uh, again, by Nebuchadnezzar. Then... <clears throat> they were given the right to reconstruct the temple by the king. And um, if he had any concerns whatsoever, again, they were very bold in what they said. Uh, go back and check your records. So again, it was important that what they were trying to say was uh, they had a right to do what they were doing. And uh, if there was any questions whatsoever, again, the king should have had record of what was being done and why they were able to do that. So uh, that's what was brought up there at the end of chapter number five. But let's have a word of prayer and we'll jump in uh, in chapter number six this evening. Lord, again, we do thank you for the opportunity, Lord, that we've had to meet again this evening. Lord, to be able to praise your name through song. Lord, to be able to pray and to hear uh, again, the update from our missionaries and how you're continuing to use them around the world to spread the gospel. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be mindful to pray for them, each and every one of them. Pray for them by name. Pray for them as they have needs, just like we do. And Lord, again, as they're going on our behalf, it should, uh, again, excite us to see that they're going to spread the gospel. And Lord, again, it's important that we lift them up to you. But Lord, again, as we uh, open up your word tonight, I pray that you would help us as we look at chapter number six of Ezra, that we can draw from it what we need and apply it to our lives today to give us a better understanding of who you are and what you've called each one of us to do. Pray that you'll direct and guide everything going on tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, as we continue looking at our study of the book of Ezra, <clears throat> there are many things that we could learn from both sides of the coin, if you would. Again, as we look at what the governor and, and the king and what they were saying, but also what the Jews were offering and what they were saying uh, in regards to all that was happening there. Uh, we've seen five letters written so far. And uh, a decree from the king, a reply from uh, Reum, a reply from Artaxerxes, from Tatiai to the king, and, and now his response. So some may be thinking, um, we've covered all these letters and it's kind of boring to read what's going on, the bickering back and forth. And this one's complaining about that one. And this one's saying this one. And, uh, it sounds like a church almost. Well, yeah, kind of some, something like that. But what's the importance of reading these letters and, and them writing back and forth and, and what are we getting from it as we study it? Again, it shows us what, uh, <clears throat> scripture again, uh, is validating history. We can go back and, and look at secular history and find these same things. We can find exactly what was going on there uh, as well as what we're finding in Scripture. So, uh, again, it's a good way for us to understand the, the, the validity of Scripture, if you would, because we can find it here as well as in secular history. So, uh, it's just a letter. 
but it's there. It's given to us as an account. It's given to us that we can look at it. We can learn from it and know that it's true and right. So again, that's the idea behind reading some of these letters. But tonight, as we again uh, continue to begin looking at this uh, next portion of Scripture, we find, first of all, tonight, and by the way, I've got two points. I'm not going to tell you how many sub-points I've got, but I've only got two main points. So, <clears throat> number one is the decree was found. The decree was found. Again, look with me, uh, Ezra chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. So then Darius the king made a decree, and search was made in the house of the rolls where the treasures were laid up in Babylon. And there was found at Archimetha, if that's how you want to pronounce that name, in the palace and in the province of the Medes, a roll, and therein was a record thus written. We see here that King Darius again took the Jews' advice from chapter number 5, and now he has sent out a decree saying, all right, I want you to check all the rolls. I want you to look around and see what we can find. What is at state? What gives them the reason and the, 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 the ability to rebuild? And again, this was something different than what they find in their local uh, historical records or wherever they, they kept the rolls. This was in a different location. Again, that's why it's named here specifically. This place was a place for a treasure to be kept. This was a little different. It was things that were very valuable. And this is where they found the rolls. This is where they found the decree that the king had written prior to that give them the opportunity to rebuild. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that would wonder and question, why was it kept there? Uh, again, it was very valuable. It was something that was ordering them and, and giving them that opportunity. So maybe that's the reason they placed it. We, we don't really know. But it was located somewhere different than what they would normally find uh, in these places. I'm sure the king could have said whatever he wanted to. He was the king. He didn't necessarily have to go and say, hey, I'm going to issue a decree. I'm going to find these roles. I'm going to find the answer. He could have said, hey, guess what? I'm the king. What the king says goes. And you can build or you can't build. Again, he was the king. He was the one in charge. But he was one that wanted to go back and study and get the truth and understand what it was. Now, it's important that we find that there because that's the way we need to be. We need to be the ones that are giving the truth. We need to make sure we are giving the answer uh, that God has given us to give to mankind. Again, it's that one answer. That one answer that Peter tells us, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 15, tells us that we are to be ready at all times to give an answer, one answer to the world. So we need to make sure that we're following what is given here. Again, uh, God using uh, an unsaved man, a king, that we can follow after as an example to look at that we are to give an example. Give what the Bible says. Too many times I think there's Christians out there that love to give their opinions. And as you know, opinions are like armpits. Most people have two and they don't smell so great. But we like to say, well, I think this. Well, I think that. Well, God didn't ask you. God didn't ask me. Our opinions don't matter. This is why we go back to what we know and understand as being truth and perfect and right. The word of God. So when someone comes up to you with problems, with situations, with trials, whatever, give them scripture. You say, well, I don't know Scripture. Get in the book and study Scripture. I'll be the first to admit, I'm not one that knows the Scriptures as well as I would like to. I'm not one that can give chapter and verse of every problem that life brings about when people say, hey, I've got a problem, uh, what do I do? I'll get back with you. Just as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, hey, if you don't know the answer, say, I'll get back with you and find it. Again, give them that hope of, I'm going to give them something you're going to try to give them something to be an encouragement, something to help them. And again, this is what we need to hear. This is what we need to give to the world. 
Learn how to study your Bible. Learn how to find those answers to all those questions that may be asked. Again, uh, people will learn much more as you take time to study it for yourself. There's a lot more things you can draw out of Scripture as you're searching for one answer. Again, the Holy Spirit's going to teach you all things, the Bible says. So as you're looking for that answer of uh, who was, what's his name's dead and father-in-law, I don't even know whatever the question was, father-in-law of Moses, somebody, some guy in the Bible. All right, who was his father-in-law? Uh, okay, I don't know. Well, I very quickly ran to the back and was looking, okay. I remember Genesis, uh, oh, well, here's his dad. I didn't find his father-in-law. I found his dad and his dad's line and so on and so forth, the whole line of people, Tira and all that. I'm like, well, that's not it. Oh, well, I'll look later. So, see, I got to learn something else besides his father. I found out who his dad is and the whole line of his lineage. So, again, oftentimes we stop and think, well, I don't know the answer. Study it. Find it. Don't just pawn it off on somebody else. Don't, well, I'll just ask the preacher. He'll give me the answer. I'm not going to give you the answer. <laughs> I'll tell you to look it up. And then I'll have to go find it just to make sure I can give you the answer. If you come back and say, well, I think... Then I can talk a little bit and know what you're talking about. So again, we've got to take time to study the Word of God so we can give that answer. And that's exactly what we find here. But again, you find in verse number 3 that the decree was said. First of all, it said that the Jews had the right to rebuild. Look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter number 6. In the first year of Cyrus, the king, the same Cyrus, the king, made a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be builded. In this place where they offered sacrifice, let the foundation thereof be strongly laid, the height thereof three score cubits, and the breadth thereof three score cubits, with three rows of great stones and a row of new timber. So the Jews again were given the command that they could build the temple and rebuild the altar, and they could offer sacrifices once again. Uh, some of you may be thinking, so what was so difficult about understanding this? I know we've only gone through this just a few weeks, but you've got to stop and remember the time frame that was going on. This was around uh, 538, 537 B.C. when the initial uh, uh, Jews had come back to, to start this rebuild, and now it was 520 B.C. There was a long span of time that happened between the two. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't remember what happened yesterday, more or less 20 years ago. Can anybody remember the exact letter they wrote 20 years ago? Word for word. Some of you probably have that ability. I do not. So they had to go back and look it up. Hey, they had to go back and find, where's the roles? What does it say exactly? Because we want to make sure we give the right answer. And that's what was going on. That's why it was such a big deal that they wanted this right to rebuild. Because again, that's what they had been given the command by the king to do. Again, not only do we find the right to rebuild, but we also see the size of the structure and what it would be. There in verse number three, it says three score cubit where it's height and breadth, that would be about 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide, which relates approximately 90 feet. So, uh, again, you may think, well, that's not real big. According to our standard today, no. But to back then, uh, again, it was a massive structure. Can you imagine trying to build things by hand? You know, I recently was putting up a wall in my basement. You know, it was nice going down there when you've got power tools. Got a nail gun. Hey, I'm done. Woo! Uh, back then, they didn't have that. Uh, they had to figure out how to get nails. They had to, to, to uh, again, get the, the, the rocks out of the ground and on and on, all by hand. So uh, they, th this was a big undertaking. Again, a big structure for them to be able to rebuild. Verse number four tells us that there were three rows 
or layers of great stone in a row of new timber. So you can uh, basically think of it being as a paneling the inside of your house. The rocks were there for a structure, and they put the wood on the inside as more of a decorative piece. Uh, again, if you were to go back and think about the, the original temples, they did the same thing, but they overlaid everything in gold. They didn't have that opportunity now. Uh, again, as we've talked about in the beginning of Ezra, when uh, the older ones cried because the, the temple that was going to be built was nothing compared to the old one. But this is the idea of what was given to them on what they were to be able to do and uh, be able to rebuild uh, this temple. Not only did they have the right to build, but they also, we find that they had the resources would be provided. Look at verse number four with me again. It says, with three rows of great stones and a row of new timber, and let the expense be given out of the king's house. So not only did they have the right to rebuild, the king was going to pay for it all. What a wonderful thing. Hey, I get to rebuild a temple, and guess what? He gets to pay for it. Nothing better than that, right? Uh, again, when God gives us something to do, he's going to be able to provide all that we need to make sure it's going to happen. This was God's design. It was God's building that was going up, and uh, he wanted to make sure he could provide everything that they need for whatever was going to happen to have this thing rebuilt. This was a principle, again, that we need to apply to where we are today. When God calls us to do something, he's going to provide it. He's going to provide a way. There's a lot of people that get caught up and say, well, I feel the Lord is leading in this way, but I just, I don't know how I'm going to do it. You're not going to do it. God's going to do it. God's going to use you. He's going to work through you. He's going to provide for you. But you've got to be the one being willing to step out on faith and say, yes, I will do it. I remember when I was called to preach, I told the Lord, Lord, you know, I can't talk to anybody. I can't stand in front of anybody and speak. And that's when he gave me a wonderful assignment to Florida. And you think, wow, that's wonderful. But you're going to be a military instructor. I said, I'll take care of that. I'll provide a way if you want to do it. And I was thinking about when we moved up here. We were stopping and we were wondering, okay, never having to step out in faith like we did. How much is it going to take for us to survive, to live financially? Again, it was something that we never had to worry about before. And we had come up with a figure in our mind thinking, this is the amount of money we were going to need. And you know, it was the same number that the church said we would pay you. Not a penny more, not a penny less. It was the exact number. And I was like, wow. Again, God just reconfirming everything in our hearts and lives, what he is calling us to do, that he's going to take care of it, that he's going to provide. But yet, we've got to be the ones to say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. When we get ahead of God and what he wants and out of his perfect will, then things can go awry. Things can get, get crazy and be destroyed and, and go in ways we don't want to go. This is why we need to be faithful following God and what he wants. They had the right to rebuild. The resources were provided. And then in verse number 5, we see the return of goods. Look at verse number 5 with me. And also let the gold and the silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took forth out of the temple, which is at Jerusalem, and brought into Babylon, be restored and brought again into the temple, which is at Jerusalem, everyone in his place, and place them in the house of God. This was nothing more than a confirmation, again, of what God had called them to do and what they had already started and done. They had the gold, they had the silver, they had all the possessions, which, uh, again, showed the king what they said was correct. What we're doing is right. What we're doing, we have permission to do. And because of what we found there, we see secondly, look, there, we're on our second point already. Secondly, we find is the declaration of the king. 
the declaration of the king. Look at verses 6 and 7. Now therefore, Tatnai, governor beyond the river, Shethor Bosnia, however you like to say that one as well, and your companions of Aparshathites, which is beyond the river, be far from thence. Let the work of, the, of this house of God alone, let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God in his place. We know we've read this phrase many times before, but I've yet to explain it. It said beyond the river or on this side of the river. If you were to look into the book of Ezra, you would find this same term used 16 different times. Up to this point, we've used it eight times already. But what does it mean? What was he saying and why did he always reference to those beyond the river or, or this side of the river? Again, Stop and think of the nation of Babylon at that time, the empire, if you would, and all that it consumed. It was from the northern part of, of Egypt, the southern tip of, of, of Turkey, all the way over to, to Syria, to Israel, to Iraq, and to Saudi Arabia. It was a very large empire. So within that large empire, you had to have different people that was in charge of certain sections, certain governors, as they were listed here, uh, that was in charge of their area and taking care of things. The capital of Babylon was on the eastern side of the Euphrates River. Again, this was in what we would consider modern-day Iraq today. So anytime they referenced beyond the river, it was the section west of the Euphrates River. So again, if you've got the river coming down through Iraq into the... Uh, the Mediterranean, all this, all this stuff over to the west. This was beyond the river. This was beyond what they were focused on. Again, uh, they were more concerned about their capital area, the, 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 the resources that they had in that river and all that was going on there. That was their focus. So anything beyond that, he wasn't really concerned about. So now he's getting these letters. He's getting this, this correspondence with this governor and all of his companions and all that. And uh, basically, he, he, he tells them what's going to happen. This is basically my rendition, okay? He says, hey, governor, and your little, your little counterparts, guess what? I'm the king. What I say goes. Enough said. Stop getting in everybody else's business. Stop meddling around what's going on beyond the river or the other side of the river. Stop worrying about what's happening way over there and focus on your responsibility. Do your job. And that's one of the big problems that they were dealing with. They were wanting to control everything. Again, as an empire, they had to have that mentality of, of keeping things under control and taking care of it. But for some reason at this point in what was going on in, in the life of the Jews, the king said, look, we're not worried about them. We're not worried about what they're doing. Again, they've got a God they're following. They've got leaders that they're following. Let them do their thing. Leave them alone. Sounds like what happens in a lot of churches. People get so worried about everyone else and what's going on in their lives that they neglect their own responsibilities. They get caught up with other people's business, wanting to know what's going on, hearing the latest gossip, you know, so we can pray for them. Yeah. By the way, our church is not exempt from that. Paul told the church in Thessalonica to stop. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. The term busybodies used there in Scripture is referring to those that are meddling in somebody else's business. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13, And with all learned to be idle, wandering about from house to house, 
not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies speaking things which they ought not. We've got a lot of people that try to get caught up in other people's business. And that doesn't need to happen. We need to stick to what God has called us to do. We need to make sure we're following God and doing what he wants us to do. Not going around getting in other people's business. Worried about this. Who's going there? What is happening here? And I want this. That stuff needs to quit. These Samaritans, this governor and his companions were too busy getting uh, in everybody else's business that they were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. What has God called us to do? That's what we need to focus on. What is it that we're to do now? Who is it that we're to reach? And how are we to grow the kingdom of God? That's what needs to be our focus. Not getting in everybody else's business. The king made it clear that they were supposed to do. And then he tells them in verse number 8 that it should be done without delay. Look at verse number 8 with me. It says, moreover, I make a decree. What ye shall do to the elders of these Jews... For the building of the house of God, that of the king's goods, even of the tribute beyond the river, forthwith expense be given unto these men, that they be not hindered. Forthwith, quickly, without delay. This should be a lesson for us as believers. When God calls us to do something, we need to make sure that we obey and we do it quickly, without delay. We expect our children to do it. We tell them, hey, you need to go do something, and uh, we want them to go and do it. But yet when God says, hey, I want you to do something, well, maybe I'll do it later. We have that idea of rebellion because we want to do it in our time. Not when God tells us, but when we feel like doing it. Kind of reminds me of the kid's song, O-B-E-Y, obey, always, O-B-E-Y, obey, when I feel like it. That's the adult version. Obey when I feel like it. But we teach our kids, obey now. Now's the time to do it. Hey, I told you to do something. Get up and go do it. God says, I told you to do something. Get up and go do it. Make sure you understand that you obey without delay. And that everything you need will be at the expense of the king. This is, again, the reference. This was the decree that was sent out. The king was going to take care of everything. Everything the Jews needed or wanted uh, was going to be taken care of, was going to be paid for. It was coming out of the king's checkbook. Now, whatever they needed to build the temple, whatever building materials, the tools uh, to pay the artificers, the ones, the, the, the professionals, if you would, the ones that knew how to do the job, uh, we're going to pay them all out of the king's payroll. It's coming out of those tributes that were being given. And I'm glad to say that our king does the same thing for us. When he wants us to do something, when he's given us a direction and a command, he's going to pay for it. He's going to take care of it. Scripture tells us that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has all the, the, the need, anything we have need of, he will provide, it says. But again, it goes back to our obedience. Are we willing to follow and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do it and watch you take care of it. You know, that's the kind of a neat thing to sit back at times and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do it, and I want to sit back and watch. I want to see how you make things happen. I want to see how you can provide and take care of things because you said you're going to do it. Hold God at his word. He gives us those promises in Scripture for a reason. Not that we can just say, oh, well, they're there. They're there for somebody else. No, they're there for us. They're there for all of us to look at, to examine, and to use as we're going through life. We also see in verse number 9 that they could exercise their right to worship. Look at verse number 9 with me. And that which they have need of, both young bullocks and rams and lambs, for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, 
wheat, salt, wine, and oil according to the appointment of the priest that are of the Jerusalem. Let it be given them day by day without fail. The king again tells the governor everything that they have need, something they need for worship, you're going to take care of it. You're going to go buy it. You're going to provide it for them. They had different sacrifices that they needed. Uh, again, it mentions there uh, the different animals for the different types of sacrifices. The wheat, the wine, or the drink offering, the oil, and all these other things that were listed in the book of Leviticus as an offering the king was going to pay for. Again, it's not like they had a lot of resources. There was not that many people there in Jerusalem that they were able to go out and, and provide all these things. The king said, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to give you that opportunity to continue to worship and continue to exercise that right that you have been given. Again, these are things that were uh, the, the, given to the priest without fail because the king had an ulterior motive. Uh, again, he was given these things and, and telling the governor, yeah, I want you to do this, do this, but there's a reason he was sharing that. It was because he wanted to extend prayers for the king. Look at verse number 10 with me says that they may offer sacrifice of sweet savors unto the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and of his sons. Hey, I want you to do all this, provide all these things, make sure they can worship, make sure they're offering those sacrifices, make sure they're on good praying ground because I want them to pray for me. I want them to make sure that they can, uh, again, pray for me and my sons to make sure that we're taken care of, that our, our, uh, our lineage will continue to rule and reign in this area. We know as believers that we are to pray for all those in authority. As First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 tell us, uh, but I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications and prayers, intercessions, be, and giving of thanks be made for all men, not just for certain people, but for all men. Verse number 2 goes on to say, for kings and for all them that are in authority, that they may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all goodness and honesty. This king wanted to make sure he was taken care of in every aspect possible. Hey, if, if you've got a, a God you're worshiping, uh, you pray on my behalf and, you, and, and I'll take care of you. you. You pray to this different God, I, I don't care who it is or what it is. I'm going to give you some things to make sure you're praying for me. He wanted to make sure that he stayed in control, that he was going to continue to reign. But we should pray for our leaders. Again, we've been commanded in Scripture to do that. And we got to make sure that we're doing that. When was the last time you stopped and prayed for our nation? You may think tonight, well, I don't even know who it is. Well, that's the beauty of having our prayer list. If you go back and you look on the prayer sheet, it lists the president, vice president, those that are in Congress that represent us in Kansas, the governor, as well as the mayor of Oswatomie and Paola. Those names are on there, so you can lift them up by name that, again, God would continue to use them. But we are to pray for those leaders, pray for our church leaders, pastors, deacons, trustees, teachers. When was the last time you prayed for the teachers? Again, stop and think about, I'm uh, just thinking about Wednesday night, how many kids go back to some of these classes. That's a lot of kids. It's a, a, a broad age group to deal with as well. So we need to pray for those that are taking care of these kids that have the opportunity to present Christ to them although they have no idea in their own home who Christ is. So it's important that we're praying for them, that they're trying to, to lead them and guide them according to Scripture. The king's declaration was done without delay. And it was under threat of death if disobeyed. Look at verse number 11 with me. It says, also I have made a decree that whosoever shall alter these words, 
Let timber be pulled down from his house and being set up, let him be hanged thereon and let his house be made a dunghill for this. Do you imagine that? That's, that's pretty, pretty harsh words, if you would say. Uh, if you're going to go against me and what I say, I hope your house falls on your head. And then that you're choked to death by it. Uh, that's essentially what he's saying there. He said, not only that, but your house become a dunghill. Not only the physical property, but you know what? The, the lineage, your children, your household will become nothing. Be looked at as the worst thing ever. Again, a dunghill. That's what is going to happen to you. You're not even go you're going to die, but your, your whole family is going to be looked at in the wrong way. It's going to be looked at bad. No one could go against what the king said. And if they even tried, it would be terrible for anyone. We have a command from God right there in front of us. In Scripture, the Word of God, we have uh, what God has given us that we are to follow as well. But how often do we stop and think about what He's given to us? Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse number 2 says, You shall not add unto the, the Word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught of it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I commanded you. The Old Testament, again, gives us this instruction that we're not to, to add to it. We're not to, to change what God says. We're not to do our own thing. We're to be obedient and follow what we've been given in Scripture. But this is not just an Old Testament idea. It's reiterated in the New Testament as well. You look at Revelations chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. It says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues which are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city from, and from the things which were written in this book. Again, everything we find in Scripture, everything we find in the Word of God is true and right and perfect for every one of us to follow. We don't have a new manuscript like some religions or cults believe. We don't need a new word. We don't need a new prophecy. We just need to reread what we've got. We need to go back and follow what God has already given us and follow exactly what he tells us. Stay focused and true to what we've been given because we know it stood the test of time. We know it's true. We know it's right. Don't delay. Don't disobey. And do it with all diligence. Look with me at verse number 12. And the God that hath caused his name to dwell there, destroy all kings and people, and shall put to their hand to alter and to destroy this house of God, which is at Jerusalem. I, Darius, have made a decree. Let it be done with speed. Do it with all diligence. Whatever the king said to do, you better do it. You better do it now. God has placed his name on this place. God has placed his name on our lives. We identify as a Christian. God has claimed us. He has taken us. And this is why, again, we need to be faithful doing what he has called us to do with all diligence. This message is one that needs to be uh, heeded to. Make sure that we're following. Making sure that we're doing our very best. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse number 10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Don't do it halfway. Don't do it half-heartedly. But do it with all of your might. As we go out and we, we tell others about Christ, we're to do it with all of our might. As we say we're a Christian, we need to live out what it is we're saying with all of our might. We need to make sure we're following God with everything that he's given us to do. We've got a decree to go out and follow him, 
to do what he's called us to do. And he's going to provide as long as we are faithful to him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight. Let's stop and think about the command we